And I hope that's your plea. If that's a new idea to you, well, just come and learn more about what it means to have Christ and his righteousness be your own. If you have your Bibles, take them and turn to the book of Romans chapter 12, or inside your program this morning is a sermon outline. And we give this to everyone so that you can take some notes and follow along with me and maybe make some sense out of what I say. So listen now to this beautiful passage from Romans 12, verses 3 through 8. The Apostle Paul writes, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body, we have, as in one body we have many members, and the members do not have all the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So far, then, the reading of God's Word. Paul is now teaching us about how we are to live together as the church family. And in the first 11 chapters, you recall, we meet Paul the theologian. Paul the theologian, and we've walked in 34 sermons through the deep um, uh, truths of the work of Christ for us. But now we meet Paul the pastor. And Paul is a great pastor to his people. He has a heart that the church would flourish. And he begins to say, in the light of all that you know about God, now here's how I want you to do life together. What do we learn here? In this beautiful passage, you have a picture of humble people who have discovered and developed their own spiritual gifts and then begun to actually use them to build each other up and to live for the glory of God. And it's an extraordinary picture of the body of Christ as succinct as almost anywhere else in the Bible. So I want this to go deep today. And you're going to hear phrases that I've used many times in the membership class or in other sermons, but that actually come out of this passage applied directly to us. And the first point is this. The church is a body, not a bus. All kinds of images in the Bible about the church, the temple of God's people or the family of God. Here it's called the body. But I'm afraid, unfortunately, that through the centuries and even across the world today, many people view the church more like a bus 
What's a bus all about? Well, of course, especially those tour buses down in New York City. You go down and you climb up on the bus and you sit and you look out the window at the scenery and you enjoy the sights and you ride, uh, you're along for the ride and maybe if you have a good tour guide, he speaks into a microphone and he says some entertaining and informative instructional things and it, that points out a few things that, you, that seem to delight you. And if there are perhaps a bunch of children on board, he has an assistant who works some games for the kids and keeps them entertained so that you can pay attention to the bus driver. And he accelerates when it's time to go faster and he puts on the brakes when it's time to go slower and he steers and directs. A lot of people think the church is like a bus. And who is the driver of the bus in the church? Well, they reason, it's the pastor. After all, that's why we pay him. And, and he decides when we speed up and when we slow down. And like any good bus driver, if you get a little too rambunctious, he says, hey, you, cut that out over there. Be quiet. Pay attention. And, and they think the church is like a bus. The pastor's like the bus driver. But what does the Bible here call the church? It tells us we are a body. Isn't this intriguing? In Romans 12, 5, do you see it there? So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. And even when it talks about the role of pastors, when Paul writes in Ephesians 4, do you know this passage starting in verse 11? He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. Yeah, they're there, but what do they do? To equip the saints for the work of ministry. And the whole purpose of equipping the saints who do the work of ministry is what? Next phrase. For building up the body of Christ. And then it's beautiful. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, we are to grow up in every way into him, who is, into him who is the head, into Christ, here it comes again, from whom the whole body joined and held together. He's talking about ligaments and tendons, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. And so I want you to know, church is not a bus, North Shore Community Church. We are a body. What body? Let's pick Usain Bolt. Anybody see Usain Bolt at the Summer Olympics? The fastest human being who has ever lived. It's extraordinary to watch that man run his race with such power, with such grace, and, 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 and it's, it's so beautiful. He's a sprinter. What does a sprinter need? Sprinter needs strong legs. Strong legs. But he's also got to have good feet, right? That's not enough. What else does a sprinter need? A sprinter needs arms, strong arms that know how to pump the torso and to keep the torso in balance as it hurls down the track. The arms are very important to running. But somebody says, well, he also needs eyes. He has to see where he's going in those cross-country and long-distance races. They've got to see the impediments that are there. You've got to see if you're going to be a good runner. Someone else says, no, well, of course he's got to have a brain. You've got to have the brain that can put it all together and coordinate 
together and somebody else says, you know what the runner really needs? The runner really needs good little tubes in his ears. What are they called? Estation tubes. Did you know you have estation tubes in your ears? What does the estation tube do? It keeps you in balance. You get your balance from the eustachian tube. Usain Bolt needs good eustachian tubes to keep his balance as he flies down the track. And all the parts are working together in one body. It's extraordinary, isn't it? And it's got to be coordinated. If it's not coordinated, you're like, you're, like, you're like Kramer on Seinfeld. Right? Anybody remember that? It's a long time ago. I'm showing my age. Kramer always banging into the door, stumbling and falling down. But there's coordination in the body, in the healthy body. Edmund Clowney, who was my professor at Westminster Seminary, I still remember the first time I heard him say this from this passage. He says, the church is both an organism, a living body, and an organization, that is, with people mobilized for a purpose. It's both an organism and an organization that is coordinated. And you won't have worship services, you won't have mission trips, you won't have Sunday school that's going on right now or earlier in the, during the first service. You won't have food pantries or thrift stores or ministries of mercy unless there is an organism that is well organized and coordinated just a brief snapshot. Let's, let's take, in the history of the church around the world, let's take last Sunday morning in Oyster Bay for, from about 8 a.m. or 7.30 a.m. to 1.30 p.m. last Saturday. We had musicians who came. They rehearsed. We had two beautiful worship celebrations with fairly sophisticated music and an and intense preaching from the word. We had the initiation of our fall children's Sunday school classes and my high youth group classes. We had then, after the service was done, a picnic lunch for over 200 people out in the back parking lot. How, how did it get there? How did the worship service happen? And then, there were games. There were, there, were, there were games for the children and somebody serving cotton candy and doing face painting and crafts for the adults. And there were all the teachers and workers in our children and youth ministry at their tables sharing information and letting moms and dads get to meet uh, the teachers of their children. And suddenly, at 2 o'clock, over 100 people rolled up their sleeves, pitched in, cleaned up the parking lot, carried the tables and chairs downstairs, said thank you to those who led, and then suddenly it was clean. How did it happen? Just, that's just one slice of our life together. Without the church being a body that is an organism that is organized, we would have no mission trip, we would have no worship services, we would have no thrift store or food pantry, we would have no counseling or youth group. The Holy Spirit ultimately gives the life into the family and the Holy, Holy Spirit according to his word, according to the word and the spirit, we live in the organized body. 
but we are a body, North Shore Community Church. I hope you feel that. We're a body, not a bus. Ray Steadman wrote a book in the 1970s. I'm showing my age here, uh, but I read it in the early 1980s. It's called Body Life, Body Life. He says this, listen carefully. If you know, if, by the way, if you know your medieval church history, you know when this happened. He said, through the centuries, the church gradually turned itself away from the simple provisions that made it such a powerful and compelling force in its early years. There came a gradual transfer of responsibility from the people to what was termed the clergy. Have you ever heard that word, the clergy? Clergy, those are the paid professional priest types, okay? When the responsibility was thus left to the professionals, there was nothing left for the people to do other than to come to church and listen. They were told it was their responsibility to hear the pastor preach the gospel, and soon Christianity became nothing less than a spectator sport. And in the medieval church, just so you know, it all became around the preacher would speak and then he would do his, he would speak over the sacrament and, and put on some pageantry and the people would go, oh! And they became spectators and listeners. Soon, Christianity became nothing but a spectator sport very much akin to the definition of football. 22 people down on the field desperately in need of rest and 50,000 people up in the stands desperately in need of exercise. Now, Ray Steadman says, this unbiblical distortion has placed upon pastors an unbearable burden. They have proved, listen carefully to this, this is funny. They have proved completely unequal to the task. What task? They have proved completely unequal to the task of evangelizing the world, counseling the distressed and brokenhearted, ministering to the poor and needy, uh, expounding the scriptures and challenging the entrenched forces of darkness in an increasing world of evil. They were never meant to do it, he says, and boy am I ever glad. Who is to do it? The body of Christ is to do it. The pastors and teachers and elders, we equip the saints to be sure. But who are the ministers of the North Shore Community Church? You and you and you and you and you are. Verse 5 says, We, though many, are one body in Christ. We are in Christ. How do you become a part of the body? This is very important. 34 previous sermons through the book of Romans, you become part of the body because of the work of Jesus Christ. You don't just sign up for your stop and shop card. It's not like signing up and getting a stop and shop card, okay? It's not like joining the Republican Party or the Democrat Party. You become part of the body of Christ when you are in Christ, when you have faith in the one who lived and died for you. Have you done that? Have you come to the place in your own life where the atoning blood of Jesus Christ has paid for your sins, where the resurrection of Jesus Christ guarantees your eternal life? Have you come to the place in your life 
where the Holy Spirit has adopted you into the family of God and you have learned to call him Abba, Father. Union with Christ, learning to say Abba. Have you, have you ever done that? The, Jesus said, whoever believes in me, whoever has received me, has the right to become children of God. That's how you become in Christ. But once you are in Christ, believe me, it is much more than just hell insurance. You are now alive to live inside the body, loving each other in life together. Maybe you've heard the title of a book, Life Together. Does anyone know who wrote the book Life Together? Don is nodding his head. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the martyr murdered by Adolf Hitler. Bonhoeffer wrote this beautiful book speaking of Christians who are in the family of God, in the body of Christ, who know each other and serve each other and love each other. This is us, life together, and we need all the parts. Somebody here, they're saying, well, I don't know. I'm not sure I have anything to contribute. Or, even worse, uh, you know, I've been here, I tried, but these people don't seem very interested in me. Listen, my friends, 1 Corinthians 12, it says that we need all of the parts. Look at that. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, I am not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, by the way, that would be pretty ridiculous, wouldn't it? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God has arranged the members of the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be as it is? Just like Usain Bolt, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor the head to the feet, I have no need of you. We are one body in Christ, and that's point number one. As we are the body, doing life together, well, points two and three and four emerge as the text unfolds, and we learn that we are to be the right people who do the right things for the right reasons. We've, we've been over this before, but it just springs right out of this text, and, and actually Paul begins with that third part, that what we do, we do for the right reasons, because apparently, why you do it and how you do it is just as important as that you do it. So, so look at how he picks up in chapter 12, verse 3. He starts off talking about the attitude of the heart, and he says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So you'll notice he starts with something negative, 
And then he restates it as a positive. He says, don't do this, but do this. What, what is it? First, he says, do not think more highly of yourself than you ought. Why does he say that? Well, for no other reason, because he knows somewhere down the road there'll be a pastor named John Yenchko whose flesh is very proud. And he's going to know that there is an impulse inside the sinful human flesh, not just of me, but in every human being who's ever lived. There is an impulse of pride and self-importance and self-congratulation. And left unchecked to ourself, I stand before you and I congratulate you on being able to know me. And how, really, what a fine fellow I am. And you should be so pleased. And you know, and I know. You see, we, we, whenever you see this sort of thing in a church, it's poison, isn't it? It's poison. And now you say, but preacher, preacher, every good school psychologist worth their salt, they're all about helping the kiddos develop a happy, healthy self-esteem. Don't we all need a good self-image? Isn't that the most important thing in the world? Well, apparently not. It's good to have healthy self-esteem, and I understand where all that's coming from. That's fine. But there's something even more important. It's what the Bible here calls an accurate self-image. Get to know yourself, who you are, accurately. He doesn't go the other side. He doesn't fall off the horse the other way so that you say, oh, I guess I have nothing to contribute. I'm a nobody. He doesn't go there either. He says, no, I want you to have an accurate self-image. Or he says, with sober judgment. See, John Yenchko, he'll get drunk on his own performance and the praise of man. Isn't that sickening? No, don't get drunk on the praise of man. Instead, have an accurate sense of who God wired you together to be. An accurate self-image is when you are the healthiest person. And then he says who God made you to be, given with the measure of faith God has assigned. You see that phrase? And a friend of mine, he puts it like this to other preachers, but this goes to all of us. He says, don't fret the measure, that is, the measure of grace and faith that God gave you. Don't fret the measure, we can't all be Tim Keller, he says. That's very helpful, because we can't, and we're not. Be who you are, and enjoy who you are. That's the healthy self-image, to be who you are, and accept and enjoy who you are with sober judgment. And then, because it's all by grace in there, he says, and then he says, because ultimately it's not about you. It's not about you. It's about the body of Christ. He says in Ephesians 4, 16, there's something startling. He says, when each part is working properly, it makes the whole body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The whole purpose of the right person doing the right thing for the right reason is to build up the body of Christ. So I'm here for you, and you are here for each other. Are you with me on this? And I, I think this is strong in our church. It's, it's, a, it's very healthy when you realize the ministry you do is for others. 
And then the third attitude of the heart, it's laid out in 1 Peter 4.11, and it's also uh, laid out um, where he says, if anyone serves as the one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that, here's a purpose clause, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. And then he can't help himself. He says, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. I love this. It's all about the glory of God. Can we agree, church? It's not about the praise of the pastor or the musicians or the, or the teachers. It's all for the glory of God. We are different from the world. You know, we have some really talented musicians in this church. It's fantastic. Some of them are professional musicians. And when they are on the stage at Carnegie Hall or they're performing down at the homestead, they are performing. And that's a beautiful thing. I like to go hear them. You know, I like to hear it. But not on Sunday. They are not performing on the Lord's Day. And our musicians know and our vocalists know they are here merely to assist the congregation. They're here for you, to assist you, not to perform in front of you. Put performance aside on Sunday mornings. You're the assistant to the child, to the mother, to the dad, to the grandfather that came here to sing. And you do it for the glory of God. Does that make sense? I think our people do that very well. It's absolutely crucial for us, for the right reasons. And then he goes on and he speaks about the things that need to be done. This is point three. You turn over your outline. He says, we serve doing the right things. And there's a partial list. Now, you can comb through the New Testament, all the various partial lists about the gifts, and even just using the New Testament, you only get a, a good sampling of them, but there's about 25 that are expressly stated in the Bible. And I look around this room, and, and I see people who are living out these very things before us. There are people who, um, who serve. They have the gift of helps. You know, they don't want the spotlight. <laughs> They like to be behind the scenes. There are people who teach. They're good teachers. There are people who, who are they're, they're given to the arts of music, and they serve us with that. There are people who pray. Their gift is intercession, called to intense prayer. There are people given to mercy. Who, whose hearts uniquely break for those who are struggling and they come alongside as deacons and deaconesses or just people in the church and they bring the comfort and hope of Jesus Christ in the gift of mercy with cheerfulness. And the list goes on. The right things that need to be done in the body of Christ. What are your gifts? If you're here today and you say, I'm not sure then we have good news for you. Because in this church, we want to help you discover your gifts. The Bible says everyone to each has been given the grace gifts. So you say, I need to discover them. That's wonderful. In a couple of weeks, in the end of November, we're going to run what we call the network course. 10 o'clock during the Sunday school hour. And the network course is the place where you discover that unique way that God wired you. And I have a word here for college students. If you know college students, I think one of the great tragedies of college education is it never takes the time in most instances to help 
young college students discover their giftings, their unique talents, spiritually. And we want you to discover your gifts and your passions so that you know the thing that God wants you to do. Remember Eric Little in the movie Chariots of Fire? What did he say? He says, and when I run, I feel his pleasure. See, he knew how God had made him. Isn't that a beautiful thing? And if you don't know, don't sweat it. Let us help you discover your gifts so you can develop them and use them. You know, I got a text message on, on um, Saturday morning from Lydia Rogers, who was a leader in the Awana Club. And she said, we had so many kids come out Friday night for Awana, and we had to break them up into two groups, but we only had one teacher there except that Linda Rosero showed up and took the TNT group of the children, and they had a fantastic time because, see, Linda knows her gifts are teaching children, and she was available to do the right thing at the right time with the right heart to serve our children. Do you think that is every pastor's dream, to get text messages like that? How beautiful. For the right reason, people are doing the right things. And, and it's so interesting because the main emphasis of this text, the main emphasis is, is not the list of the things that are to be done. It's in the verb, Paul says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us... What's the next word? Use them. Use them. Peter, it's not just Paul. Peter says, he says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. Please, please, if you discover your spiritual gift, do not take it home to your lovely house and put it on the mantle like a trophy over the fireplace because that's not where it belongs. Please, what does Paul say? Use it. Use it in the body of Christ. We're not a bus where you sit passively. You're a leg or an arm or an ear or an eye or a eustachian tube. Use it. We, we, we probably are not the best church in New York, and uh, we're not the only church in New York. I hope we are your church. But if we're not your church, some church should be your church where you are plugged in and you're doing the right things for the right reasons that God has wired in you. Please, hear the word of the Lord. Use it to serve one another. And we do not in this church just want to plug warm bodies into empty slots. That's when churches die. And I've seen it. I, I serve as the moderator of our presbytery. I've been alongside struggling small churches and I've seen they're just desperate. We need a Sunday school teacher. Let's find someone with a pulse. Nominations for elder or deacon are coming up. Let's see if we can find someone who will agree. Not here, my friends. We want the right people doing the right things 
for the right reasons. And he tells us, this is point number four, he tells us having gifts that differ according to the grace given. It's so, so beautiful. First uh, Corinthians 12, 7, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And so what a novel idea that at the North Shore Community Church, we are led by leaders, taught by teachers, mobilized to mercy by people who have merciful and cheerful hearts, counseled by counselors, and led in worship by artists who've been uniquely gifted vocally and instrumentally. You know, some of you, if I went to you and said, hey, we want you to be the lead singer next Sunday morning. Why? Why would you react? Because that's not your gift. But you have a gift. And where you are gifted, you are, I hope you feel the Holy Spirit now rising in your heart. You are to use it. What is that gift? There are, I mean, we're a highly mobilized, organized organism here in this church, that is true, but there are still some of us that are involved. There's some of us who are not involved in ministry yet. Or maybe some of us are functioning where it's not a fit. Well, it's okay, let's, let's sort it out, let's figure it out. Okay, we'll do that. Together, we'll figure it out. The reason this is so important is because you were uniquely designed to be you. And nobody else can be that right person doing the right things for the right reasons in the unique ministry God has called you to do. In this network course, what we do, it's what we do, is we enable you to discover your spiritual gift. And then we explore with you your personal passions. You see, some people have the gift of teaching, but their passion is teenagers. In a world that despises teenagers, we love teenagers in this church. And maybe you have a passion for teenagers in this hard world. But then there's the question of how you were wired, your personal style. For example, some of you are task-oriented and some of you are people-oriented. Some of you are highly organized and structured. Some of you are unstructured in who you are. You know, none of those things are right or wrong. It's just the unique wiring God put in you. But it's important to know if you're a people person or a task person or where on the extreme, if you're highly structured or unstructured, because now once we know your personal style, we add to that your personal passions, we add to that your spiritual gifts, and guess what? We know your servant profile. That's what we know. Your servant profile. And we match your servant profile with the ministry opportunity. That's a beautiful thing. And there's nothing like the local church. When the local church is filled with people doing the right things for the right reasons in the right place. So, I'm going to close with this, even though I'm early and parents don't pick up your kids till 1230. Not infrequently, I hear people say, 
I don't like organized religion. You ever heard someone say that? I don't like organized religion. Now, I think I know what they're getting at. When they say that, they're saying, I don't like meaningless rituals and busy, busy meetings organized around superstitions that don't touch me or have no real meaning for me. I don't like organized religion. Well, you know what? If you read Isaiah 1 verse 11, you know that God doesn't like that either. God doesn't like that. In fact, he speaks about the sacrifices of Israel having become meaningless rituals. And later on, he says, your festivals, they are obscene to me. They're just going through the motions. It's just activity for activities, religious activities' sake. That's not what God wants. But please, please understand this. Those united to Christ are the body of Christ, and you are an organism that is organized for the benefit of the church and the glory of God. And we are to be moving forward like Usain Bolt down the track as the kingdom comes. And that is organized religion at its glorious best. Are you with me on this? And I just want to say now to the people in this room and some of the people watching live streaming right now who couldn't be with us, I just want to say to you, thank you. I just want to say thank you. I know so many pastors would give their right arm for what we have together. For what happened last Sunday, what's happening right now, what happened this summer in the VBS and the mission trips, what happens every Saturday in the food pantry and in the thrift store, in our homes, in the homes where we're having family devotions. I want to say thank you for those of you who have discovered your gift and who use it. I want to say thank you on behalf of Jesus Christ who appreciates you. We're in this together. Let's, let's discover and develop and deploy these gifts as the right people doing the right things for the right reasons, for the glory of God. Can we agree to that? We're going to sing a song now that is a prayer of surrender to the Lord. Bow your head with me. Let's, let's go to him in prayer and let's surrender ourselves to the Lord. Our Heavenly Father, this was intense this morning, but this beautiful passage of the Bible is so compelling. And so we say, thank you for each other. I stand first in line, Lord, and I say, forgive me for pride selfish ambition, self-importance, inhaling, inhaling the praises of men. How foolish, how foolish any of us are. Give us instead, Lord, an accurate sense of who you wired us to be, our strengths, our weaknesses, places we aren't so strong, and yet who we are, and help us to accept that with great joy and appreciation. Help everyone in this room to like the person 
you made them to be, with sober judgment. Give us humility as we serve the body and as we glorify you. It is our deep desire, because we know it is right, to join with the Apostle Peter who says, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. To Jesus Christ be all praise. Let that be the beat of our collective heart as the body of Christ. In his name we pray, amen.